You're about to wrap your ears around a special bonus rebroadcast episode of my recent appearance on another fine podcast. Now, I love to chop it up as a guest on other shows from time to time as it provides me with the opportunity to share on the topics about which I am most passionate, like emotional healing, spiritual growth, and personal development. I've been on the path of awakening for about 25 years now, and along the way I've been graced with many useful tools and inspirational guides, so it brings me great joy to share them here occasionally. But rest assured, we'll be back Tuesday with another guest episode of The Lifestylist. If you're listening to this bonus show, what's vital to you might be growing spiritually, learning ways to expand your consciousness, or optimize your health and vitality. But whatever your bag is, make sure this valuable info doesn't pass you by by signing up for my weekly podcast email newsletter. This is the easiest way to get all of the resources sent your way each and every week. When you open the email, you'll see the guest, links to the audio, video, clickable links, transcripts, and every resource from that particular episode. Now, this not only offers the convenience of having everything in one place, but it lets you bookmark episodes that you might want to check into later. And you'll also get links to the guest's latest products, books, and media, and ways to further explore their work. So get those fingers clicking over to lukestory.com newsletter to join. Just enter your name and email and leave the rest up to me. And every Tuesday morning, you'll wake up with all the Lifestylist podcast waiting for you in your inbox. Enjoy this bonus episode until we meet again next week. In this episode, Luke Story, my friend, who is a writer, uh, advocate for meditation, metaphysical teacher, and truly a lifestyle design expert with grounded information, who shares transformative principles of health, addiction, recovery, and spirituality. He is always seeking and his willingness to share and be vulnerable. He's the host of the top-rated The Life Stylist podcast, which he launched in 2016 and is forever strong. In this episode, Luke shares what steps he took to overcome his addiction and how spiritual surrender had deep healing contributing to his transformation on this journey to self-love and self-discovery. His story is a testament to the transformative power of surrender and finding hope in the bleakest of places. We also explore the concept of shedding false identities. Do you relate to that? I do. The impact of societal pressures and the power of vulnerability in the healing process, as well as the roles good and evil play out in this world and the importance of anchoring ourselves in love. Before we dive in today's episode with Luke, I would like to thank our sponsor, Tech Wellness. As I was doing a lot of research for the Fatal Conveniences book, I realized the science was very clear on this, in fact. EMFs, or electromagnetic fields, the information that is carrying through radio waves that power all our devices are in fact biologically active, meaning that it can hurt us, it affects us. As the scientists say, without a doubt, there is harm, it needs more studies. They do have a negative biological impact on us. So EMFs are part of our toxic load. They're a part of things that we should minimize and mitigate 
But also during all of this research on EMFs, I also discovered almost immediately that this area is full of people putting out all kinds of information and a lot of bad advice. There's all these weird websites that you look at and you go, I, this is weird. This is, doesn't look credible. This looks from the 1980s, <laughs> like that kind of thing. And so that definitely muddies up the water of what's going on. Maybe it's the damn cellular industry that doesn't want you to know or believe that there's anything wrong. So they don't want you looking on PubMed. They don't want you understanding the research that I've uncovered and looked at and read about. Or maybe it's because you can't see, taste, or smell the EMFs. That's why it's easy to just not think that this affects us. Obviously, electrosensitive people have another response altogether because it affects them immediately. So it's easy to drum up this fear and then tell someone just to put a sticker or a hat on and it's going to save you from all of this EMF. So, well, that's not entirely true. We got to do a bunch of stuff. I personally want to use something that actually works. The science is there to validate it so that it protects me effectively from these EMFs. That's why I decided, without a doubt, through my research, I found Tech Wellness. It's one of the most trusted brands because August, her own journey was immediate, and she was one of those electrosensitive people, August Bryce, and then she developed her whole company around helping other people stay away from this biologically active and not so great stress response from these EMFs. Tech Wellness addresses all of the tech toxins in our world from EMFs to privacy stealers, blue light, digital addictions, all kinds of really cool vetted technology to help you with your technology. It can be overwhelming to navigate all of this stuff and we can easily be manipulated through this. That's why with tech wellness, it makes it easy for us to understand and we can take realistic steps to protect ourselves and our family. All of the information at tech wellness is backed by science but not driven out of fear. It's driven out of what you can do to enhance your life. So start protecting yourself with real solutions. You can get 15% off using the code DARIN, D-A-R-I-N. They have great things like a starter kit, EMF protection starter kit packs, anything on their website to help you specifically protect you. And that's what I love. Again, the code DARIN for 15% off at techwellness.com. You are listening to The Darren Aline Show. I am Darren. And it is my life's mission to find and share healthy and sustainable ways of living. In this podcast, I talk to inspiring people and professionals from around the world to uncover ways that we as humans can improve our lifestyles, strengthen our mindsets, and take better care of this beautiful planet we call home. If you're looking for motivation to take the next steps towards a happier, healthier life, then you're in the right place. And I'm stoked that you're here. So let's do this. This is my show, The Darren Olean Show. Luke, thanks for coming to your place on The Darren Olean Show. It was easy. I only had to walk about 12 feet to That's get right. to the studio. It's an amazing commute. Dude, it's so great to be here. We just had an amazing conversation with you talking to me, but it feels like it's just such an easy 
conversation to have. And uh, one thing even in kind of even tuning into you and the recapitulation of you, one thing that when we were talking before that I want to bring up and acknowledge is your ability and commitment to discovering and looking. There's very few homes I go into that I learn something that, you know, and so it's so awesome to come in and number one, to see what you're doing, to implement what you're doing. Because there's one thing authentically powerful about you is that you are a seeker, but not a seeker from the, the aspect of seeking, 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 not applying, applying. You're seeking, implementing, and also the great expression of that, I believe, is also sharing it. Right, and your your podcast is in one aspect of your ability to share. But then one thing that came up when we were talking earlier is your ability to always lead with curiosity and vulnerability, and that is that invitation of all of the things that you've done, all the excavation you have done for yourself, but also the invitation of all of those guests that you've had on your podcast. And I just want to applaud you in that because it's, it's also just gives my heart a warmth coming here and going, oh, cool, I didn't see that, I didn't see that. And, and that's from the emanation of your commitment to be better and that shows in the guests that you have and the and the things that you've been putting out in the world and and your ability to gain garner recapitulate that knowledge and share with others thank you brother yeah yeah i think you know that aspect of uh, my life and my work is really born out of addiction recovery <laughs> really man yeah. the the principle of service and you know we've all suffered in in various ways and i definitely took my licks, most of them <laughs> self-imposed. But when I came out of addiction and became free, there was, even if there hadn't been a program of recovery that instilled in me the importance of giving away what you had so freely received, which for me was purely an act of grace that I'm sitting here still sober after 26 years. But it was, A, it was, it was so clear to me that something truly, and I don't throw the word miracle around l loosely, but something truly miraculous had happened for me and to me in the fact that I offered myself to a higher power and I was saved from addiction. And even if I hadn't been told that you have to go give this away to keep it, and you have to learn how to be less selfish and self-centered and narcissistic, which I totally was, probably still am sometimes on a bad day, even if I hadn't been told that, I would have been compelled to share that information, those spiritual principles with other people, because I think it's just part of human nature. When you've suffered and you find a solution and you find a way up and out, it, one effect of that is that hopefully it deteriorates some of your self-centeredness and some of that egoic identification. But also, it's like you want to go shout from the mountaintops, man, I found a way out of this. I mean, the work that you do, right? It's like you've had some traumatic experiences earlier in life. You've discovered all these things in the world that are just a total assault on our health and vitality. And you've, you know, you've fixed some problems yourself. And then it's like, what are you going to do? Sit there with your great life 
and all your happiness and just hoard it. No, you're compelled to go out and share that with people. So when I find something today, like I was telling you about my O3 Waterworks ozone laundry system, it's like, that's super exciting to me. I'm a nerd, right? So it's like, I'm not just going to figure out how to eliminate toxic soap from my laundry experience, Hmm. but I'm going to tell everyone about it because it's such a cool innovation. It's a small thing but you can build yourself up by a thousand micro habits, just like you can be torn down by a thousand cuts, you know? So Big time. yeah, I, I appreciate your reflection and I'm, I'm definitely someone whose purpose in life is to help people. Yeah. Well, it's clear. It's clear in everything you do. And, and you know, that something that popped up is, is, you know, through the addiction, there's 12 step and there's all, and I had a father obviously that suffered from that. So it's, it's close to me. And, but something that you said and something that's also in 12 step and other systems, it's not just for addicts. It's understanding our placement and who we are. And so what would you say was the most powerful thing that you, what was the internal decision that you made that was the internal because it has to be internal shift in order for it to express the difference that you then are in the world right what was that internal shift if you can extrapolate on what that is because it's it's beyond addiction it's an imprisonment of some delusion anyway and i think the reason i'm saying it is is i think all of us having human skin can understand the imprisonment of almost anything that we've decided is got us. Absolutely. I mean, I talk to people that have <laughs> that don't have the awareness that they've ever had any issues with addiction, and many people in an outward sense haven't, but my question is always this. Can you sit quietly alone and have a completely silent mind? If so, for how long? You know? <laughs> We're Half all, a second. We're, yeah, we're, <laughs> yeah, you know, we're all addicted to thinking at the very, at a fundamental level, right? right. There, there are things that are beyond our control, you know, to define addiction, maybe things that are beyond our control that have a deleterious effect on our life experience that we can't stop even if we want to, right? And so every human being has some sort of habit of thought, of feeling, of behavior, whether or not it's acutely destructive, like being addicted to drugs or alcohol is, Uh, We all do things that don't serve us. And even if we have an awareness of some of those things, it's often very difficult to break those habits. I mean, I still have a ton of habits that don't serve me that I'm continually working on by building an awareness. But to your point of, you know, what was the, the pinnacle of that huge life pivot and it was twofold because I've thought about this a lot. Why me? Why am I not out there pushing a shopping cart or in a federal prison or wherever I could have ended up where most people like me on that path do end up dead, you know, dead prison, uh, not doing well in any way. And there were a couple things. And one took me about 22 years of sobriety to remember. And it's paradoxical, not so much now in our culture and our understanding of psychedelics and plant medicines as they're starting to proliferate into mental health and addiction and stuff. But I used to take acid and mushrooms all the time when I was uh, an addict um, with no intentionality whatsoever. I was just trying to escape from all the unhealed trauma and all the pain that I had lived with uh, since I was a kid. And so one of the things that I did for a living was selling mushrooms. So I always had a ton of psychedelic mushrooms around. I used to keep them in these big cat food containers, uh, like a five-gallon bucket, you know. So I had tons of mushrooms. 
And so when we were bored and drunk, me and my homies in Hollywood would just eat a bunch of mushrooms and just sit around, you know, just very bad idea. One particular night I did that and I had a, a classical bad trip. I just had a nervous breakdown, meltdown. Uh, I realized what a failure my life had become. I felt all of the shame that I had built in my life through my various decisions and behavior. And so I'm just crying and crying and crying and telling my friend who I was partying with, there's air quotes there on the video. <laughs> you know, it's probably a really bad night for him. He wants to, you know, drink a bunch of beer, smoke weed, take mushrooms and play some music. And I just, you know, I'm on the floor bawling. And um, I said something to the effect of this to my friend that night. I said, man, I, I just can't do this anymore. I'm going to die. And even if I don't die, I sense that there's... <laughs> one percent of me that is worth saving so the pinnacle of that night was the realization not only that my life was at the edge of a deadly waterfall right you see in the cartoons right the little canoes about to go over the edge and they're toast and they narrowly avert by turning to the shore i saw man i haven't experienced any real violence i hadn't had any you know direct and impactful experiences with law enforcement you know i was i was everything was just about to go really south so there was the awareness of that but more than anything there was just this this mustard seed of self-worth somewhere buried down under all of my shame that was like man if you could get out of this life it's 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 not it's a long shot <laughs> you know your chances are not high at becoming anything other than the piece of shit that you are currently not that I was, but I felt like one and was in many ways to other people, for which, of course, I've made many, many amends over the years. But it was this, just this seed of hope that told me, man, maybe, maybe your life could be different and you could, rather than being a succubus drain of energy on humanity, you might have a little something to add. So there was just that feeling. It, wasn't, it didn't even come to me in those thoughts. It was just like, oh, man, maybe maybe there's a way out of this. And that was the one ingredient was just finding that fading ember of life in my heart. And then coming to that realization, it would be some months later. So unfortunately, I didn't walk out of that and go, I'm saved, I'm going to rehab. You know, I went right back into the darkness, which for me was, you know, heroin and crack and just really gnarly, gnarly, bad, bad, bad scene. But eventually I did a few months later, hit a catastrophic subterranean bottom. I mean, just, I could not have gone any lower. And there was one particular moment that was, what well, could be best described as a true surrender, like a surrender at depth. And I just knew that I was done and that I could not help myself, that, that I could not overcome this challenge by myself. And I wasn't spiritual or religious or anything at that time. But somehow I connected the dots that A, I can't save myself and that there's a remote possibility that there's some creator or some force, some God out there somewhere that if I could humble myself before that power, that it might be able to help me. And that was the only shot I had. And then, you know, I was in, I was in Canoga Park <laughs> kicking dope on the floor of one of my drug buddies and had a really rough go of it, you know, four or five days of just writhing and being really sick and opiate withdrawals. 
and I don't even know, he wasn't even around. He just kind of locked me in his house and I, had, I didn't have a car or anything. So I would go do that periodically. Um, I later started calling it a train spotting, you know, it's for someone like locks you in a room and makes you kick, you know? So I couldn't get into a rehab or anything. So anyway, he's not around. I come to and there's like just disgusting apartment. There's roaches crawling across the floor next to me. You know, looked over at my roach roommate and it was just, I'm done. I give up. And I went to the phone on the wall and I called my mom. And that was, that was truly the most profound moment in my life. Picking up that phone, it was terrifying. But I surrendered, you know, that the shell of like my self-reliance and pride and ego and fuck authority, I'm going to do life my way, all that bullshit, rebellion archetype and all that uh, just melted away, you know, looking at that roach and just going... You know, I was maybe off of the opiates three days or something at that, and, you know, still feeling sick. And I just knew, I was honest enough with myself, I knew the minute you let me out of that apartment, I'm going to downtown LA and I'm going to start right back up. And I just knew that. And there was no denial mechanism within me that could once again deceive me into thinking it would be different this time. I knew it wouldn't be different this time. And I knew it was going to be worse this time. And it was going to be immediate. And I think having that realization on the heels of that bad trip that I'd had a few months earlier where it was like, God, maybe I could be different. Maybe my life could be different. And then brought me to that moment. And thank God, you know, for my mom, I'm eternally grateful that she had the wherewithal and the, and the love to help me orchestrate actually getting put away into a treatment center because there was no way I would have been capable of doing, you know, I, there's no way I could have manage just the logistics of getting myself right. somewhere. It sounds right. funny now because right. I'm a pretty capable person, but back then, I mean, just getting on an airplane or anything like that was, I was so dysfunctional. Like I just literally couldn't do anything except go to the dealer, come back home, do the drugs, try and find some money to go back to the dealer to come home and do the drugs. I mean, my life was so reduced to such an animal level of survival. It was, it was truly sad and just a heartbreaking situation, you know, but even looking back, you know, that, that surrender of going, okay, I need to go into treatment, which people have been trying to get me to do for 10 years. But when I made the decision for myself, I knew the moment I made that decision somehow that I was going to be sober the rest of my life. And that's also what made it so terrifying because I knew once I step, step over that threshold and I make this decision, I'm never going to be able to use drugs as anesthesia ever again. And that, that's one thing that made it take so long is I just couldn't imagine having a life with no, no softener, you know, of just how do you live life and not be numb 24-7? I couldn't even fathom the idea, you know, but that, that phone call, man, just absolutely changed my life. And in, in hindsight, looking back, you know, I don't even give myself credit for making that call because it was, it was truly a divine intervention, you know, the part of my higher self or the God that spoke to me and said, go to the phone right now and call your mom, you know? What did you say to her? She would probably remember, you know, <laughs> verbatim because she'd been waiting on that call for so long and I'm sure she was relieved to say the least, but it was something to the effect of, uh, you know, mom, I'm done, I'm ready, I need help, I'm done. Like I am capital D done with this life, I, I can't do it. And I get, you know, I get, a, even after all these years, I get so emotional telling these stories. And I think sometimes people might hear it or see it and think that it's, it's sadness, but it's 
what I feel when I talk about it is just pure potent gratitude that I'm alive and that I have such a magical and beautiful life because of the grace that's been bestowed upon me and because of the spiritual will that I've had to keep going. You know, I give myself a little credit because someone had to get in there and do the work, but the results of the work are totally in God's hands and it's, I've been very well served, you know, for someone who came into this life with, without much of a shot at achieving anything like the life I have now, I must have had some, some good karma stored up, you know, because I've really been so blessed, you know. And so when I think back, it's so interesting, you know, Darren, it's like, I love talking about this stuff because it's just, it's a testament to the power of spirituality. Yeah. But also, I do tend to forget that there are still people out there in the world that might hear this podcast that are in the throes of addiction or have a loved one that is in the throes of addiction and they've lost hope. So it's like, for me to be able to speak vulnerably from my heart and let people know that when you're in the bondage of addiction, and I'm not talking about being addicted to your thoughts, I mean like life-threatening addiction, it doesn't matter how far down the road you've gone, you could be knocking on death's door and be mentally ill and be homeless and have lost everything. There is still hope 100% of the time. And that's all based in the power of surrender. Surrender is the key. Surrender and humility is the key that opens that door to the light of spirit. And in the light of spirit, miracles are all it knows. That's all there is, is miracle after miracle. The fact that there's a life force that's emanating through each of our bodies right now, breathing us. We're being breathed by the planet. We're being breathed by God, by creation. The electricity that's beating our heart isn't us doing it. There's, there's something that's there all the time, right? That's why you're never too far gone. Yeah. It's um, one of my great <laughs> yet flawed teachers once told me, he said, Luke, do you ever feel like you just can't find God when you, when you try to pray and you're trying to do your spiritual thing? Do you ever feel like, you know, God's just not there? And I said, yeah, man, I feel like that all the time. And he said, well, guess who left? It's not God. You can't get away from God, really. It's, it's that you have denied access through your own pride or any of the other impediments to that access and that direct experience, you know? Yeah, you know, I, I can't help but to think of my father when I hear you as well because of that. I, I remember my father saying one thing. At the, by the way, thank you for sharing that um, because that's what touches me with something that was incredibly fucking challenging watching my dad. And, and so my dad said one thing that my dad got sober and when he made that decision, he never broke that sobriety. So when he broke his sobriety, he had never been there before. And so the shame blame cycle was so intense because he couldn't believe that he broke sobriety after 33 years. And, and so when I'm listening to you, there is, um, there's this sense that I have that maybe people can relate on many levels, but when there's a, this identity of what we believe ourselves to be, I'm Luke, I'm having a hard time with drugs and alcohol, and I'm spiraling down to this reptilian 
you know, primal space of drugs and and watching my roaches and watching <laughs> like like just in a tough scenario. Great, great way to describe it. And the death of that, the death of that ego of this is who I am and whatever the pain that has kind of crowned my life at that point is my identity, which is then I've propped it up and therefore guiding my drug-infested life and whatever anger and shame and abandonment and whatever that is has become the roots of what I believe myself to be. And so when I hear you picking up that phone and talking to your mom and letting it all go, that's scary as hell as well, right? Because you have to let go of what you believe yourself to be. Yeah, it's a death. Right. It's, it's, it's one of the great gifts of ego death. You yeah. know, one of the representations. I mean, that can happen in a lot of different ways. Yeah. The interesting thing is about that is after some years passed, right? So to your point, I had built this identity of being a rather prideful outcast of society. I mean, I, I literally used to think being a junkie was cool. I mean, I thought I was... There's jokes, you know, that you hear in recovery groups like, oh, I was laying in the gutter, you know, as a, a drunk on the street and I'm laughing at, you know, I'm waving my finger in shame at the people that have day jobs, these suckers going to work, you know, walking by me on the sidewalk as I'm peeing myself and laying in my own vomit. And it, it was like that. There was this prideful identity that I built up, like I'm a musician, I'm an addict, I'm just all in on this life, right? So there was a letting go of that identity because who are you without that if that's who you are so closely identified with but what's been interesting over the years is seeing how you know the ego is very opportunistic and so it will glom on to any identity with which it can and so there was you know in the early years of recovery i'm like i'm sober guy i'm mr 12 steps and i have this many months and this many years and then built really another a more adjusted version of myself, but still not really who I really was. I'm like a sober guy, I have this many years, like I'm all about this life, which was a positive step and I'm so grateful that I did. And then some years later, you know, that morphed into, I started going to India and then I'm wearing the beads and saying namaste and wearing the orange robes and becoming like a spiritual guy. It's, and it's not a good or bad, right or wrong thing. It's just so interesting in my own experience how I've, over the years, even though I shed that false identity of the addict, then later, before I really knew who I was, as I know myself now, I would take on other identities that were also false, but maybe just a little healthier. <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm saying? I remember coming back from India and a couple of my friends were just like, dude, stop with the namaste. Like, you are so full of shit. But my intentions were pure. I wanted right. to be a spiritual guy. Right. Right. So I'm going to wear the spiritual clothes. And, you know, I didn't right. go so far as taking on a new Baba, <laughs> Baba Dubigad, you know, spiritual yeah, name or whatever, right? And, you know, no. Secretively, you're like, you wish you did. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I, I wanted to be even more special. But it's, you know, yeah. my life has been just a continual shedding of all of these, all of these false identities. And it's really interesting now over the past few years in our culture, because there seem to be influences in society that are manipulating people into further micro identities that are actually not who they are right. either. Right. Right with all of the, you know, the numerous gender identifications and all of the focus on race and, you know, not to discount 
the harms of racism of the past and present and all that. Obviously, I'm a somewhat conscious person. I'm aware that all is not well. But as someone who's been really fighting to shed all of these identities that aren't me, including like my name, I'm not Luke's story. I'm not a man. I'm not white. This is just one time around on the wheel, man, the karmic wheel. This is one incarnation. And I have a certain sort of meat suit costume that I've been given and certain proclivities and a place in which I was born and a lineage of people that came from Europe and whatever, right? But it's like when I'm out in the world, I don't most of the time because of all the shedding of those skins that has taken place, I don't identify as that. When I sit here with you or anyone in the room, like I look in your eyes and I see the soul behind those eyes and that's who I see in myself. And so it's been really a beautiful experience over the past few years to just go, wow, I, I really don't even have a label, which makes making a website, if you're a personal brand, impossible, by the way, because it's like, they'll go, what are you? What do you call yourself? I go, it depends. Talk to me in a week, it'll be different, you know? Right. But I'm, as you said, a seeker and a finder. And it's been so just nourishing to my soul to just accept my own unique weirdness of just being this guy named Luke and just doing the things that I do in the world and not having to fit into any tribe any sort of sect of my community. I don't even fit in really in Austin. And there's a bunch of people that from the outside look just like me in terms of their lifestyle and interests and things like that. But it's been so nice to just kind of rest in my own uniqueness and not be attached to being special. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's mm. like, I know I'm special because we're all special, mm. but I'm not really. Yeah. You know, like so there's. I don't, I don't need other people to tell me. Yeah, so there's just, there's like an ease in my body that I never could achieve with drugs and alcohol. I mean, that's what I was going for, was to just feel comfortable in my skin and just go, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm me and I love me for who I am and I'm going to keep doing my best to become a, a better person and to grow and evolve. And, you know, now I just feel, I feel so good about myself. I love the shit out of myself, even my many neuroses that are still present. Bite my fingernails, I chew nicotine gum, you know totally addicted to supplements. I'm taking 50 supplements an hour. I mean, I'm a total nut, but I'm a net positive in the world. I know that the love that I feel for myself is also emanating to every person with whom I interact and even people that I don't know and will never know. You know, I'm a loving person and that's where I derive my self-esteem is from that energy of love. And when that's there, then I, I, you know, I don't need to pretend like I'm a shaman and start wearing ponchos or, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't have to take on any more identities. I found my true identity. It's yeah. just me, naked Luke in the universe, playing this role during this incarnation. Following your curiosity. Absolutely. Following that childlike wonder that, that this person's cool, this opportunity, this is, and you're learning and you're sharing it. 100%. I'm a perpetual student, and I think anyone that's really committed to being a student is by default a teacher. Yeah. Because even if you don't outwardly spend your time in vocation teaching, you inform your fellow humanity, not by what you say, but by who you are. And so if who you are is becoming more authentic and more loving and more compassionate and more whatever you seek to be, that is your teaching, right? So if, if, if I'm insatiably curious about bettering myself and evolving and becoming healthier in all the different ways, even if I wasn't outwardly doing that as a career, I would be doing that with every person I meet throughout each and every day. It's just it, who you are radiates 
yeah. louder than anything you could ever say, you know? So it, it's fun to be a student because as I'm learning, I'm just by default teaching a bunch of people really cool stuff just like you are. Yeah, yeah. But I'd be doing it anyway for myself. Right. So it's just an added bonus right. if I find some cool things and share them with the world and I get paid to do that. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Like, what a life. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, you know, and just really opening the door when coming in here, when you open the door, I can immediately tell like this is a guy that I've known but I haven't seen in a while and you're the presence of you was calmer than I remember. Oh God. More yeah. integrated. <laughs> Thank you. Like I, I would hope so. But the, it goes yeah. back to like what we were talking about in our other podcast when we did. It's it's like those small steps added up over time. And so when I when I get to see you again, you've done a godzillion amount of micro steps, some misfires, which we all have, some reintegrations, some recapitulations, but ultimately you're continuing to move forward. And so I, my snapshot of you, my remembrance of you was whatever it was. And so when I get to see you again, it's like, oh, this is a different energy. This is a, this is a integrated, this is, this is Luke, but this is like an expanded version and it's a easy version. It's a easier version. It was whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. And we like to think that we're evolving. We like to, but it takes that effort it takes that work it takes that integration it takes that willingness oh it really it really does man it really does that's the thing you know we don't tend to change that much in the course of one lifetime without really putting in some work man and the yeah. difference that you see and thank you for your kindness it's it's absolutely received and it's it's very true <laughs> it's very true everything you said i will say that humbly between that time and this time yeah Brother, I have done some gnarly shadow work and yeah. deep, deep healing. I mean, of the core wounds, that thing you think about that you're never going to tell anyone, those things, <laughs> facing them and facing them and facing them. And much of that work, and this is not for everyone, it's just been my experience, much of the work that's been most transformative for me has been in the realm of plant medicines and psychedelics. And the, the reason I think it's been so productive for me, and I have you know, a lot of prudence around those practices and it's not something I take lightly or do all the time, but periodically over the past few years since we last met, I think it's been so effective for me because I went into it with 22 years of boots on the ground, spiritual work in recovery and out of recovery and so much therapy and reading so many self-help books and going to so many conferences and lectures and having so many great spiritual teachers and going to India and there was, when I started healing myself in those ways, I had a really solid foundation and I understood how critical integration and application is. Because if you're trying to get sober and you learn a few spiritual principles that maybe you might learn in the 12 steps, reading them in a book and memorizing them does F all to change your character or to keep you sober. But to, to learn about a principle or a teaching from a teacher or from a book, and to, you said this earlier in our earlier conversation, to take that information and apply it, right, in practical, in the way that I behave, in the way that I think, in the way that I feel, that builds or restores your character. And that's where integrity is derived from, right? It's like what any of us are missing that are struggling is, is actually not that there's anything missing, it's the things that we're thinking, feeling, and doing that are not based in the truth of who we are. 
So the process of integrating is, is not only applying something that we've learned, but it's also in letting go of the falsehoods that we formerly held to be true. It's more, it's like spirituality to me is more of a process of subtraction than it is addition. Totally. I don't need to go read a thousand books and travel all over the world to become spiritual. I just have to stop being full of shit right. and remove the things from my personality that are actually inferior to who I am, right. you know? So it's such a fun process for me as someone who was sober for you know a couple decades and then started realizing man i'm still very dysfunctional around sex around romantic relationships around money debt i mean huge gaping holes in my character in those areas you know and just going well god damn i'm sober this long i've, I've definitely made a lot of spiritual progress but why am i so broken and incapable of true intimacy or any of the other things that were missing from my life as a 40 something year old man you know and um going into that work fearlessly and you know i think with the an appropriate level of caution and discernment i didn't just jump in head first oh everyone's doing ayahuasca cool i'll do it no 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 this is a couple year process to even make the decision right but to be able to enter into those spaces with an understanding of what's wrong with me and what's missing and where I'm off track and being habituated into being able to face those parts of myself that were painful or scary to look at. Man, I mean, from the time I saw you in 2018, I mean, I'm a completely different person, you know, and I, and I, I have to be honest that it really is largely because of those experiences that I've had. And I, it would be, I would just, I wouldn't be, honest to say that it wasn't that you know but at the same time as i always like to say um that path is not for everyone and definitely not for everyone in recovery right. you know most people i don't know maybe it wouldn't be right for them or they couldn't handle it or they might relapse or something but for me like that was it's like i was in a dark room all these years sober had a good life had a couple careers attempted a few relationships that were good for a little while you know was, could pay my bills was like functional enough but when i started really doing the deep work and really addressing my trauma it was like somebody came in to a baseball stadium and turned all the lights on you know and it was just like oh shit man on the field mm -hmm. wow okay this is life you know i was so unaware of how operational especially my childhood trauma was in my life i had no idea I thought you went to therapy for a couple of years, go to a couple emotional retreats, you know, the Hoffman process. I, I mean, I did a bunch of great things that were helpful. And I thought, well, you tell someone your dirtiest, darkest secrets and talk about how you were abused or abandoned and you talk it out, you cry a bit, you know, that's your shadow work. And then you just move on. I had no idea how deep those wounds from my childhood ran and how they were programming my every move as an adult. Yeah, it's crazy, dude. Sometimes, you know, being in a, a relationship, right? Sometimes for a microsecond, something will trigger me that someone says, be it my wife or just anyone in the world. And I can literally watch the neural networks that have been rerouted. And I can see the old habit of how I would have been triggered or reacted to something and, and sent into like a limbic system, fight or flight, freak out. And it is wild to observe just a feeling comes up and I just go, well, that was interesting talking about the witness. And I'm just right. like, it's totally passes. Right. I don't get stuck in it literally ever. I don't get stuck. 
in the trauma. There's a, there's a, like a, a faded memory of it in my sure. nervous system, right? Where it's like, Ding, oh, this is familiar, but I don't get stuck in the familiarity and I'm not attracted to the familiarity of the dysfunction. In fact, I'm disgusted and repelled by it when I see those patterns start to become at all operational, even for a minute. And not to say that you know I'm perfect or have any of this figured out, but that's been one of the marked differences for me after doing a lot of that really deep work is just the quantifiable results of it are so clear to me because like I'm just chill, <laughs> you know? I mean, I get stressed out and sometimes I get overwhelmed and things like that, but I'm not having fights with my wife. I don't have interactions with people that are negative ever about anything. It just, I sleep well at night most of the time. I'm just, things are very smooth and it just, it all has to do with just digging in the nitty gritty of those ways in which I was so deeply hurt as a kid and, and all the ways in which I hurt myself as an adolescent and an early yeah. adult. I mean, a lot of the damage from being an addict is, are the situations you put yourself in to where other people victimize you, but you really are your own perpetrator most of the time because of the cycle of shame that's present. Right. You know, walking around the streets of Hollywood, man, on Hollywood Boulevard, it's eight in the morning, I'm out there looking for crack, you know, and everyone's going to work and it's sunny and bright. And I'm dressed like a homeless person so I don't get robbed and. I got like my last four CDs from my CD collection to go find a dealer that will give me like half a $4 rock. I mean, you live like that for a few years and you, you don't have the highest self-worth, you know? And all that shame is, is compounding, all of that damage to one's own psyche. You did it to yourself. I did it to myself. But the reason I harmed myself so much was because of how I was truly victimized and harmed as a kid. And I, I just didn't know what... A profound influence it had on my life and why I needed to so consistently evade this reality for so long. You know, now it's like there's realities about the world that I don't enjoy because we live in a duality and I signed up for this shit and the world is insane yeah. in its polarity right now, especially as we know. So there are times where I think like, man, I don't know, like I'm, I'm not coming back here again. <laughs> I say this to Allison sometimes. I said, if I'm having a bad day, I'll be like, I'm going to hang in, but like, I'm not that into coming back here next time. Like, right. I really think this might be my last time around, yeah. you know, I'm, unless I don't know, I come back to save some souls next time and I'm some kind of saint or something. But me right now, I'm like, I'm good. But that said, still by and large, my day-to-day -day life experience is positive, you know, because I'm just, I'm less hooked, I'm less attached to the world, to the goings-on in the world, to my own emotions, to how I feel this way or that way. There's just that surrender that I spoke to earlier, that surrender is pervasive and everything in my life is coming from the undercurrent of being surrendered to all of it. And the only time I suffer, even if it's for a few minutes, is when I take back some of that surrender and I go, yeah, yeah, I'll surrender the whole world and all of reality except this one thing. I got I to gotta control this thing because I've got what I believe to be my happiness contingent on it, mm -hmm. right? I would like to take a quick break from this episode with Luke to thank our sponsor, Mana Vitality. Mana is 100% organic, vegan, but it's this perfect formula of getting your body the micronutrients in the highest 
quality, minerals, amino acids, fulvic, humic minerals, nutrients that have been gathered from literally the highest points in the Himalayas and the lowest points on this planet in the Dead Sea. They have dedicated themselves to getting the nutrients that your body needs the most, certainly in our modern day fatal convenience of nutrient poor food. We need this stuff. And this is what one of the answers is. Add it to your water and you are increasing the foundation of what it is to have energy and mental clarity and longevity and vitality and optimizing your body's ability to also receive cellular hydration. How great is that? I personally drink this every day and my dogs drink it every day. I add it to other elixirs sometimes in the morning. I definitely add it to my water, but it is, I can feel the mana. And there's a reason why they named it that because I can feel it and the foundational improvements of my energy and improved resonance I can feel at my core. So if you want to try Mon out yourself, you will not be disappointed. They are giving you, all of my listeners, 12% off your order. So go to Mana Vitality, M-A-N-N-A-V-I-T-A-L-I-T-Y, and use the code DARREN12 to get your 12% off. It's interesting hearing you talk because I contemplate a bunch of these things all the time. And one thing is, on the one hand, if you didn't make a change, if you didn't call your mom up and surrender, likely you'd be dead or in prison or you know, your life would not be what it is. And so I also cut to, like, for me, I'm hearing, I'm seeing, I'm experiencing the overwhelming shift from when something shifts inside the outer expression of life changes. And it's also coming from your micro shifts. You're not getting caught into the emotional slip and slide, right? You're stopping it. So it's not then manifesting the seat of your tomorrow, right? These kind of things. So I think of, you know, what I know of your journey of the call and the addiction. And then I, and then I look at your life. You moved out of the place that also had the demons of the past, you found an amazing woman. You married that woman. You just said, like, we're trying to have a child. We want to manifest that. And you're in this beautiful home that you didn't stop until you got what you wanted right, right? With all of your integrations of the people that you've learned from and the things. And we're sitting in this beautiful space, guitars over your left <laughs> shoulder, those you are know, my current kids, my babies, yeah, yeah. <laughs> until we have and, other ones. And your beautiful dog running around, but this beautiful space. So I think of all of that, and it hasn't been that you've led your life from that space. It's like you had to manifest that out of the surrender of the darkness that you were in to then be able to create a new reality. And this new reality is like, I'm so grateful that you chose that because if you didn't choose that, you wouldn't have affected the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people that you've had podcasts for and you've, you've shared your story and you've shared your story now here and more of that. And think of the, the gift that all of that is. So it's, it's like 
it's such a weird world because we think we want to be happy and we hold on to our identity and we go after money and we go after fame and we go after all of this stuff, but it's in the world of opposites as well. It's like, it's literally, literally an inside game. And it's literally that micro understanding of self and being aware enough to make those changes so that you can have what? Peace and receive this life for the beauty that it is. And I see a man here who's done a tremendous amount of excavation of this life and probably informed by a million other lives. That's a great word, excavation, yeah. Well, it's like I was saying, it's, it, it is. It's, it's a digging up and out that which is unnecessary or destructive or doesn't, or doesn't serve you. I mean, that's yeah. the thing I think I'm trying to hammer home is it's like, it's, an, it's, a, game of, it's a game of subtraction, not addition. Yeah. You know, it really is. And what's except for the supplements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's it's like okay, it's going back to, you know, what when my teacher said, well, if if you're having a hard time finding God, guess who moved? Like you're the one that wandered. God didn't leave you and abandon you. You abandoned God, which is is free will, right? But if I'm feeling at any moment and I've had a rough couple of days, I mean, my team knows I've been really just overwhelmed and stressed out. And it's just, it's kind of a joke because I'm in it and I'll be kind of like whiny about it and whatever. And, but I actually don't take it that seriously. You know, it's just, I'm just going through the motions of like playing my stressed out role for a couple of days. But the thing about it is, and I, I talked about this a little bit before, is that the availability of serenity and peace and joy is always right at our fingertips. In other words, like the sun is always shining. David Hawkins used to use this example. The sun is always shining, right? But on a cloudy day, it appears that it's gone. It's not gone. It's just there's stuff in the way, you know? So if I'm struggling with my life experience in any given moment during the day, it's not that I need to get something to add to my experience to change it. It's that there's something there that's blocking me from the sunlight of the spirit. And that might be negative thinking or just a, an emotion of like frustration, which was happening with me yesterday. And it's like the, the beauty of that understanding and growing into that awareness is that even if I'm in a moment where I don't feel the sun and all I see are clouds, I fucking know the sun is right there. And that I'm just kind of, you know, for a little bit going to go through this game with myself of pretending like the clouds are real and I'm having a shitty day. No, I'm not. I know I'm not, but I'm just kind of like allowing it to dissipate a little bit so I can get back to the capital R reality, which is all is well. And the entire universe in which we're participating is comprised of 100% solid, pure, unadulterated love. That's all there is all the time. It's just that that love expresses itself infinitely and it allows us to walk away from it. It gives us the freedom. What a beautiful gift to be able to have a spectrum of human experience where you can create a ton of negative karma and then keep playing this game over and over again. But in the same life, you can become like I have, you know, an absolute sinner to the closest version I've ever been to being a saint, right? In one lifetime, what a gift. And that wouldn't be possible if those polarities weren't present here so the polarity is always there the duality is always there it's a matter of like how much am i believing it to be true 
that things in the world are any way other than they should be at any given moment. Like what part of me is arguing with reality and fighting against what it is? I don't need to fight against reality. I just need to change my perception of it back into what's real and away from what's false. It's always a game of, of, of eroding and deleting falsehood and what's revealed when it's gone is the truth and reality of our experience, which is everything is absolutely perfect 100% of the time, you know? And that, you know, I know you're a meditator and we've we've talked about that before. I don't think there's any way to arrive at that sort of relationship with the human experience without some practice of mindfulness or meditation. Because in order to have that perspective, one needs to, develop that witness observer perspective where I can sit here, I'm sharing with you and your audience from my heart as, as, as best I can to the best of my ability, right? Well, there's also a part of me that's aware of when I'm trying to sound smart or impress you or when I'm withholding certain things that I'm embarrassed about, you know, all that. There's always a witness present that's the big Luke kind of that's watching the little Luke do his personification thing and play the Luke role. Mm -hmm. So I'm playing the Luke role right now. It's a beautiful role. It's as authentic as I can, I can be, but yet there's also a witness observer that's watching little Luke kind of run around and play the game of being Luke. Does that make sense? Which might sound bipolar and insane to some people listening, but practices of meditation and mindfulness have given me and give anyone that does it the ability to supersede their immediate egoic intellectual awareness and participate in life from a higher plane. And that informs the personality self, the intellectual self on how to think, act, and feel to produce the result that the soul really wants, which is to be in complete harmony with all of creation at all times. But because we're in a body and the body has needs and instincts and it it has the animal component to it, you know, the higher self is invited to take on the authoritative position and be the adult in the room and be the one in charge. When you're in the throes of addiction or dysfunction, the higher self is back there just kind of waiting for your ass to catch up and and letting your ego and your little animal self and all your wounds and all your trauma work itself out. And every once in a while, it'll tap you on the shoulder and go, hey, maybe you could go to rehab. Right. Hey, make that call. Maybe you could forgive your mom. Maybe you could forgive your dad. Maybe you could make amends to the people you've harmed, right? It's like we all have that high, pure self. And that's what I have to remind myself of constantly when I look at the people in the world who are playing the archetypal roles of the villains, at least as I perceive them to be, you know, the Fauci's and the Gates and the, these megalomaniacs running the world, you know, the pedophile satanist you know, or whatever you know i'm quite the conspiracy theorist there's some naughty people that have that have way too much power in the world let me put it that way okay and i'll look at them and be like oh i hate them they should change I, why doesn't someone imprison them or kill them and it's like no man those are souls that are playing their role here perfectly and that doesn't mean that i condone their behavior or that i capitulate to their tyranny or to their evil really but I can observe that there is the existence of the personification of evil without judging it as being wrong or that it shouldn't be there because the universe is set up with those options. So I can see those people as unfortunate victims of a darker energy to which they've succumbed. And so they're actually, even though they're perpetrators underneath that, they're victims. Mm. 
And I'll still do everything I can in my power to stop them from harming me or anyone on the planet, right? But I don't see them as wrong. I see them as doing wrong. Mm -hmm. They've been overtaken by evil. And the reason that I'm able to sometimes successfully hold that perspective is because I used to be them in, in a less dramatic way. I was totally selfish and would climb over your dead body to take your shit, you know? I mean, I was not a good person. But inside, deep inside I was, it was just being obscured by all of the generational trauma and all of the dysfunction. And every living being on the planet has that love in them. It's just that some of them are so damaged and so hurt that they've lost access to love and access to that light. And that's why they make the decisions they make that are so harmful and in many cases widely catastrophic and deadly to the rest of the population. There's a swath of humans on the planet that are in control that have metastasized and make no sense to us, you know, relatively compassionate people. Like, why would you ever want to hurt anyone else just so you make money? Right. What? Right. They don't think like that because they are devoid of empathy, not because they're evil, but because they've separated from love and they've separated from God. So what is my role in the world then to have a good life and to make a contribution? It's to adhere myself with as much discipline and tenacity as I can to love, unconditionally. Even love of the things that I don't like and that I think should be different. And that includes those things within myself. And that's what evaporates and burns off the layers of shame that are still hanging around in the nooks and crannies of my, my relationship with myself. You know, it's like, man, God, if a scoundrel like me can become an upstanding member of society for the most part, yeah. it's possible for anyone. You just, you, I just needed love. I was just healed by love and I was healed by that mustard seed of hope, you know, that said, man, there's 1% of you is worth sticking around. Yeah. Yeah. I think about these things a lot too, you know, in the sense that we don't often have all the information, right? We can see people doing stuff that's perceived evil. We can perceive and there, we don't condone them and stuff like that. But then I, I also go, I don't always get to know the information, but what are they instigating? They're instigating something. And so I also see the beauty of the instigation that they may not even know they're conscious. <laughs> totally. You know, that they're, con 100%. they're consciously yep. aware of. So Because they're, they're playing a role. Of course. Right? They're on the other side of that duality. So you have a Klaus Schwab, a Bill Gates, whoever like my evil person of choice is that week, right? But let's say like in the past, sorry to cut you off, yeah, but yeah. it's just, you got me excited for a second and I'll shut up. Okay, so we look at like the past three years and all of the craziness that we've all been through, right? And there are a few key players that seem to be somewhat responsible for this mishap, this dark spot on, uh, on our human history, right? But we are sitting here from this perspective, demarcation of time, where it looks like, man, they really screwed the world up. The economy, putting masks on kids, this mysterious medication that seems to be harming vast swaths of innocent people, and so on but we can't see beyond our current vantage point in space and time into the next infinite now moment. Let's jump forward 10 years from now, and those three evil megalomaniacs might have single-handedly awakened all of humanity, and we're living in utopia because those guys fell from grace and fell from love and perpetuated acts of evil uh, on, on the population. You see, I mean, is that course, kind of where you're going? It's yeah, like, it's, the, it's the propeller. We don't really know right. the whole story because no. we're still seeing the story magnified from our current vantage point of this minute. Right. 
We don't know the big picture. Which is part of your point of go back to witness, getting, getting caught into what you believe to be true based on the limited infiniteness that you have no access to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, and, and so to understand in my own little brain of duality is, to your point, there is no wrong ever in the universe. There's opportunity that's sometimes harder to decipher. I don't have all the codes, right? Yeah. God's got the codes. The universe is figuring it out. It's moving around. But acutely, throughout time, we've had people fighting against whatever they perceive to be wrong at that particular time, and we, we require that. But this, this propeller, this dark, this shadow, this both your, you, you created a propeller of instigation through your addiction to get you to a point of pressure, and that pressure finally popped, and then when it popped... A diamond came out. <laughs> exactly, but that pressure of that... A, t- a tarnished po- one. Yes, but that possibility of opportunity to express itself in this lifetime, it's just the game that is here. So to your point, not to make things right that sh- aren't right, my whole book is, is based on what the fuck are we doing putting harmful ingredients and products. Why are we doing that? But I see it as these instigators for awakening. I had these awarenesses of like, I want the mamas of the world, the mama bears of the world. Like you won't knowingly want to put this on your children that aren't safe. So let's wake up. So it's that those instigations of like, oh, my whole book is an instigator because it's like, why is this? Why are these harmful things in there? So you can't make that wrong, right? You can't make your journey of your addiction to their wake up, to your expression of this beautiful life. You can't make that wrong. It was absolutely right. It's perfect and beautiful. You know, without the suffering that I experienced and so many people do, I don't believe I'm unique in that at all. But, you know, every man's burden is the heaviest, Bob Marley said, right? So for me... (laughs) The burden was real heavy. The trauma really hurt. There was a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. I wouldn't know the joy that I know sitting here talking to you right now without the contrast of having had that experience, right? If this dimension consisted of infinite bliss and joy in the human experience, why would we need to come here? Why be in a body? You could just exist in the etheric realms and experience all the bliss. You don't need to come touch a waterfall or have a baby or play with your puppy or you know what i mean we we get to come here in this really kind of purgatorial physical experience that has this drastic gap between both ends of that duality and that seems to me at least in my own life the only thing that really makes sense is that this world doesn't need to change as crazy as it is if the purpose of this world is building karmic merit, so if the purpose is to come here as a soul and to evolve our consciousness, the world is absolutely perfectly suited for that because I was able to incarnate here in 1970, born into a family with a lot of trauma, a lot of dysfunction, parents got divorced, everyone's all you know screwed up, God bless them. And they've made a lot of progress. Most people in my family like I have, thankfully, but... 
you know, I came in with like the perfect recipe to have a very traumatized childhood and also be situated in places on the planet in space and time where there were a lot of illegal drugs around that I could get access to as a very young kid. What a perfect scenario for an awakening soul that wanted to come here and go, man, I'm just going to walk right into the fucking fire. I'm going to hit it hard and I hope I make it out the other side alive and, and find my way back to my, my source, find my way back home. You know? So it, it, when life is viewed that in a way in which the world and everything is created in absolute perfection and balance as a gift to us to give us opportunities to make choices, they'd either take us up or down that scale. That's an incredible gift, but it's not for the faint at heart. It's freaking hard to be a human being, man. The world that we choose to come in, this purgatorial world, where there's such a dramatic contrast between love and the lack of love on the other side, it's dangerous out there, man. It is a minefield of pain. You know, the resilience of the human spirit is just astonishing, the stuff that we put up with, not including just the physical suffering inherent to being in a protoplasmic body that is so vulnerable to every freaking assault on the planet, even before your stuff with all the chemicals and Mm -hmm. me with the EMFs. I mean, how about just hunter-gatherer people and predation and extreme weather. Yeah. I mean, just surviving on the planet in a body is almost impossible. Yeah. And you're going to experience a lot of pain and a lot of suffering, even if everything goes very well for you. Yeah. And you had an easy pass this time. So what a gift it is to come here, have a very difficult time, but to be able to ascend that ladder of consciousness in such a relatively short period of time in such a dramatic way, which has been the case for me. I mean, from where I came from to where I am now is many lifetimes worth of grace, you know, to experience life in the depths of hell like that. And then to, you know, have my biggest complaint in life now is like, oh, I'm overwhelmed by emails. I mean, honestly, that's like my biggest problem right now. And my team knows that. I'm like, oh, the emails. Ah. <laughs> and I'm going nuts with the emails. It's just, it's like my main problem in life. What a good life that is. Yeah, you can get an AI for that now. Yeah. So I got to learn about that. Yeah. But that's a good life. But it's only a good life because the suffering that I used to experience, yeah. man, was way beyond emails, you know? I would like to take a quick break from this episode with Luke to thank our sponsor, Therisage. Pulsed electromagnetic frequencies done in the right way with the right frequencies are incredibly beneficial for your mitochondria. Pulsed electromagnetic field therapy. That's what PEMF is. I've been using it at alternative doctor's offices for a very long time. Well, now you can own a mat that has one of these technologies on it, among six other technologies. It's got PEMF, which I use every day. It's got red light, photon technology, gemstone technology, full-spectrum infrared heat, a TENS unit, EMF remediation, earthing, grounding technology, and negative ions. That's right. It's in one pad. You've got it at your fingertips. You can turn this on. You can lay on it. You can meditate on it like I do every day. And this technology is a natural way for healing process to be created, to help reduce pain, reduce inflammation, to improve your overall immune function. TheraPro is safe, low EMF, and no weird flicker of the lights. It's in many sizes, small, 
size as well as a big size and I lay on this thing my full body it's fantastic it's got a great travel case with a long power cord super convenient you can go to therisage.com and get 15% off your order just type in Darren D-A-R-I-N and magically you get 15% off I'm super stoked for Therisage I love their company I love what they're doing and you will too What are you most excited about right now? Could be anything. Man, I'm most excited about living in this home with my wife. You know, I'm just, oh man. As someone who was so unavailable to being loved my whole life, I didn't know how to do it. It, was, it wasn't safe to allow myself to be loved. And it certainly wasn't safe to express the massive amount of love that I have in inside, in my heart, you know? So to be in all life aside, to be in a, a, a very um, pure and sacred union with another human being that truly loves me completely for everything that I am and all my faults and all my greatness unconditionally and to be able to fully express every ounce of love in my being for that person with zero reservations and no fear, I could have never even imagined that it was possible. I mean, like, what more could one ever want to be so fortunate to find someone who's a match for the progress that I've made, you know, someone who's made their own progress and has been through a different story, but similar level of suffering and has really been committed to to healing and and growth and um you know to be able to be unified with her as a force for good in the world through through our relationship and to be able to share not only who we are individually but who we are together which is it's a really potent combination you know but i feel i feel very complete and that um that's just something i thankfully i, I never take for granted you know i hear about people that I mean, we've we've known each other for a number of years, and you know, people that have been married forty years are like, ah, oh, just wait, you'll get sick of them. But I, I don't believe that's true, you know, because my appreciation for her and for us just grows all the time because I choose to pay attention. I don't take her for granted when I, she walks across the room. I mean, I go, holy shit, right. what? <laughs> How did this happen? Right. You know, and you I'm also just, chose someone that is demanding the. The grace, the elegance, the consciousness. Oh, yeah. She right, ain't going to settle for anything less than my best self right, ever. Right. Never. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the greatest. It's really one of the greatest gifts of our relationship is, you know, it's like, I don't know the way that our, you know, and like I said, we're, we're hopefully going to have some kids here soon. We're actively working on that. But it's like the way our roles have developed in terms of the masculine and feminine energy which is just it just kind of gelled into place and she just kind of you know is less interested in her career and going out and achieving and striving and surviving like she did so long in new york and we got together and i was like hey man just if you want to just chill just chill and she's like wow never thought of doing that and so she's kind of really gone into that role and is just creative and soft and goes off and does plotty and lives her life <laughs> you know so i don't even know what she does as long as she's happy i'm happy you know amazing but what i've observed about that di dynamic is she is really the spiritual protector of our family 
and I am more the physical protector of the family. And it's a really, really interesting dynamic to observe, again, from that witness, you know? It's like there's certain, like, 3D shit that I just handle, right? And I make sure everything's taken care of and the house and the money and doing the things, right? But there are gifts that she has that I am just way less in touch with in terms of intuition about people and the energy of our home and who comes in and who doesn't and decisions we make about our life and our future and our planning that are coming from her shamanic and creative and feminine gifts that I'm just, you know, we all have them. She's just really tapped into it. And so there's been so many situations in which she's weighed in with her intuition on something and i'm like what it's gonna be fine let's just she's like oh just you know slow your roll <laughs> right. this is what i'm seeing and i've learned over time to really honor and respect her gifts and yeah. man she's really really good so yeah. you know there's a synergy between us that's so beautiful because we really really support one another you know and like yeah. you said she she demands the best for me and in my own way in a very different way, demand the best from her. You know, me demanding the best from her is like, just chill and do whatever you want every day. And if you're not doing that, I'm not happy. Yeah. The minute you think that you have to be performative in any way to have value or worth or contribute, I'm not interested in any of that at all. I want to see you juicy and alive and you know, going out in the backyard and hugging the tree like she likes to do and talking to the birds and she's in her zone. I'm happy, man, you know, yeah. but it's taken both of us. I've had to step up into that role of like, okay, can I really handle this shit? I've kind of been the head of the household in, in, in a sense of just mm -hmm. working more, you know, than yeah. she does, bringing in more money or whatever. It's like, you know, that's always been the thing I thought I wanted. And then she was willing to kind of roll like that. And then there was a period where I'm like, wait, am I even capable of this? Right. You know, and here we are, we we're here and, and that's when the opportunity it's all working out yeah and the opportunity more of the masculine gets to go okay i get to root and be strong and yeah and do this thing and lose a lot of hair in the process <laughs> you know i know why men die sooner man we're yeah the, the shit we we choose to take on you know but yeah that's you know to give a really long-winded answer man you can tell i'm excited i just i love that woman I so much that. and she's just so special and has opened my heart and you know there's one time when we were still living in LA and one night I ate a little bit of mushrooms I don't I don't know if she did maybe a tiny bit she's much more moderate in that realm but you know I felt like it's a Tuesday night I think I'm gonna eat a gram of mushrooms and just hang well, out and I started having kind of a deep experience and just looking at her and going oh shit I just realizing this majestic powerful beautiful woman I had in front of me and I was just kind of bowing to her and she looked at me oh, so beautiful and these things you know they it's hard to articulate them without them sounding trite because you had to be there kind of thing but she looked at me and just out of the blue she goes you know honey you did it and i asked her i did what and she said you learned how to love mission accomplished <laughs> right what else, what else do you want you know to learn how to truly love and then be loved. Yeah, but that's difficult to do without someone there to reflect that, you totally. know? Um, so that's... But you manifested that shit. 100%. I was celibate for almost two years. Mm. I mean, I was so dysfunctional in this area. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not carrying shame, but I'm also not proud of who I was for many years in that realm at all. A lot of healthy regret for, for my behavior and my inability to respect myself or other people, you know, but man, 
anyone struggling with relationships, I highly recommend stopping. You know, that's what I did. I was just like, I'm broken and I can't fix this. I'm out. And I went off and I really, really worked on myself and, and learned all about codependency and love addiction and love avoidance and trauma and all this whole world opened up to me. I had no idea that shit even existed. I was like, everyone just relax, man. <laughs> Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just figure it out. Get married. Get, you know, I couldn't. I couldn't do it. But taking that break, you know, that's what really was the key in me. Finally, after being friends with Allison for a number of years, I finally saw her because I had a break and I started to really get skilled at identifying red flags in potential partners and red flags within myself and got very clear about not only exactly what I wanted in character in a partner, but exactly what I had to offer. And when what I had to offer and what I wanted matched, boom, she was there. And that's it. And that's what it's been. I finally met my match because I became my match. Because I had this fantasy before. I wanted a woman that was way more evolved right. and healthier and everything-er than I was. And I was like, well, I deserve it. Right. I'm a great guy. Well, I obviously wasn't in a vibrational alignment with it because I kept calling in people that were also wounded and we would wound each other and well, trauma bond. That's and, awesome. You know, <laughs> brutal for everyone involved, man. Brutal, yeah. brutal way to live for someone who, you know, was just broken as a kid and never was never really put back together in those ways you know but man to take that time off what a gift and hard as hell dude lonely so lonely i used to take myself to the movies take myself out to dinner i wouldn't flirt with women i wasn't texting women i wasn't on any apps i would barely look a female in the eyes even wow. regardless of whether or not i was attracted to them or anything just wow. Anti-female. You monked it out, man. Monked it out, anti-female for almost two, not anti-female, but right. anti-engaging and yeah. getting the, the hits and the juice out of the intrigue and the flirting and the whole game. I just went, I'm out. I'm quitting the game. I'm done because I keep making the same mistakes over and over again with different people. And, uh, and when I did that and took that break, man, I just finally, yeah, I saw Allison. I was like, oh, shit, on one particular occasion. I looked right. at her. She actually asked me, we had kind of a little bit of an ultimatum moment and I was, I was being avoidant and shit, my old patterns. And like, she was like opening to me and I'm like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. And she said to me, she goes, uh, this was like in the middle of a three day peyote ceremony incidentally. Um, but she turned to me and said, she goes, Luke, you know, and it wasn't a threat. It really wasn't an ultimatum. It was just a statement of fact from her heart. She said, Luke, if you don't see me now in this moment, I don't think you'll ever truly see me. Something to that effect. If you don't see me now, I don't think you'll ever see me. That's what she said. And she said that. And it was just like, I just got kicked in the chest with a combat boot. You know, I was just like, oh, I really heard her when she said that. And then my higher self went, well, are you going to see her or not? Are you ready for this shit? Can you handle her? The real deal? Can you do it? Can you even see her? And I, and I, thankfully could because i could see myself yeah so amazing dude so beautiful i can't believe i can't believe i learned how to love i'm so happy to hear that thanks and i also share it's a whole nother three hours of a conversation but i share we talked about similar upbringings we talked there's some things that i only discovered in the last year that I hear you about experiences in me that I so appreciate 
what you have gone through. And I hear that differently too, of mm-hmm. what it takes to love and to be loved and to find a person that can be in that. Cause I know kids marriage that didn't work. Fuck it. I'm on my, my journey. I'm for the greater good. And I, I'm cool if I don't find that person. And ultimately it wasn't the truth. Yeah. But it's that fucking digging. Oh man. It's hard, dude. It's hard. From one perspective, it, you know, in my past experience, it it was in a superficial way easier to just close my heart and just, there was a wall right out here and anyone could come right out to this area right about here. No one. The waiting room. The waiting room. (laughs) No one's getting all the way in here because it wasn't even safe for me to be there. Yeah. Right. And what a disservice I would have done to myself because, you know, the things that you're, that you're doing in the world and the things that I'm doing in the world, though they're, you know, different in, in the minutia, essentially you're inspiring people to better themselves and improve their lives. Right. The force to be reckoned with that the two of us in our union create is infinitely more impactful than anything I could have ever done on my own. And, and I can't speak for her, but likely uh, the case would be true for her as well, like doing some good work in the world. But two of them together, yeah. man, when you have that, that polarity and that, that unification of a, of a family unit, even only of two or two plus two pets, man, I mean, the ways in which I'm motivated to do my work in the world, knowing that she is there and has my back and yeah. I have her back. I mean, oh my God. It's unimaginable the shit that I've been able to accomplish in my life, just having a muse, right? right? It's like I go in my office some days and just like think about our life and what we want to do and where we want to go. The summers here in Texas suck royally, as you now know. Like we got to get another house in Idaho or some shit, you know, like who's going to do it? I got to do it for us, not right. just for me. Yeah. When it's for us, and I can only imagine when you have kids, yeah. geez, I mean, all my friends are parents and they're like, oh, you think you have motivation now wait do you have a kid or two then it's like nothing will stop you because you you're you've matured out of that selfish insulation of like i'm just gonna live my life for me and i don't want to be bogged down by responsibility to anyone else and all that stuff and there's nothing wrong with that i respect the renunciate path as well and not everyone's meant in this lifetime to have a union but from my experience man oh what a superpower it is superpower i can't imagine i said this to her last night i was laying on her and i said i can't imagine what my life would be like without you i literally cannot fathom how dull it would be (laughs) if it was just me doing what i want when i want right Right. which used to seem like the holy grail of freedom that wasn't freedom for me man that was it wasn't freedom because the freedom that i feel now brother is no reservations on the amount of love that I can express or receive. That's freedom. Freedom to be able to date three people at once or not get attached or, you know, have casual sex or do your own thing in life and have no, not to be uh, beholden to any other human being. I mean, there's a, that's a level of freedom, but it's a very superficial, superficial freedom in my experience in comparison to the freedom that I feel now, which is like to be fully seen and to fully see another and find no fault with any of it and just love on all that. That's free. Terrifying at first, (laughs) but eventually super free. You know, when that person is safe and you know you're safe, when you trust yourself and you can trust that person, oh man, 
It's freaking incredible. It's incredible. Dude, when we sat down, I thought we were going to like, he'll probably want to talk to him about EMFs or water purification or something. We ended up getting into some pretty In deep stuff. In the back stuff. of my mind, I'm like, I'm gonna, I have a list of questions, but uh, but this this was magic, man. Yeah, it's fun. This is my favorite stuff to talk about. It's yeah. just, just to get real. And this is super. Real and vulnerable and just get messy, you know, just get messy and... That's why, you know, addiction recovery groups work, man, because it's hard to bullshit people in a, in a recovery room, mm. you know. I mean, we try, but you get up in front of 25, 50 people and try and be full of shit to a bunch of con artists, <laughs> you're not going to get away with it, for, with it for very long, you know. So there's, a, there's a, uh, an adherence to realness, I think, that is so healing, you know, yeah. when we let our guards down and just, just be our messy selves and then you're held in unconditional love as who you really are in that moment. That's so powerful. So to have a conversation like that with you is really meaningful to me and I appreciate it. And me as well, man. Yeah. Huge. Yeah, it's good stuff. Thank you, brother. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Darren Lean Show. I hope you took something valuable away from this conversation that will help improve your life in some way. If you'd like to learn more about my incredible guest, you can find all of their information in the show notes on my website. If you enjoyed this episode or even you didn't like it, please rate this podcast. The team and I value your feedback so we can continue to give you the most value possible. We want you to get the most out of every podcast. So please rate, subscribe, share anything you feel called to do. I truly appreciate it. And I love and value your support. So thank you. And I'll meet you in the next episode.